This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's show comes from Darabin Presbyterian Church in Melbourne's inner north. Today's big question, how can we have a sustainable Christmas? We're asking this question today to Dr. Ian Barnes. Ian worked at the School of Sustainability at Murdoch University in Perth for over 20 years and taught courses covering the social, political and cultural aspects of science, technology and sustainability. He's published in a range of academic journals and co-authored two books, and he joins me now. Please welcome Dr. Ian Barnes. Thank you, Rob. Well, Ian, welcome to Bigger Questions. Now, Ian, you worked for many years at the School of Sustainability. So what is exactly does that mean? Is it about you know, pacing yourself, taking rest, and developing sustainable work practices? No, the notion of sustainability came out of the recognition probably some half a century ago that the way we were living in our world was actually unsustainable. That is to say, we were using up resources faster than we could replenish them and we were polluting the environment and so we were undermining the conditions of life. So the, the challenge of sustainability is how we can change the way we live so that we can live um, sustainably with resources, not pollute the planet and so on. Right, okay. So sustainability, it's a real issue then, like to, in terms of this is why we should care? Absolutely, yes. Um, I mean, if you've, uh, again, been aware in recent times, the debates about climate change, um, that's, the, that's the challenge that, that imposes the problem of sustainability, the crisis of sustainability most urgently. Right, okay. Well, we'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. But to kick off bigger questions, we do like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Today we're talking with Dr. Ian Barnes about sustainability at Christmas. So Ian, I thought we'd test you on how much you know about how much we consume at Christmas. Okay, well there's two questions, both multiple choice, we'll see how you go. Uh, question one, in Australia at Christmas time, how many Olympic sized swimming pools would be filled by leftover food that ends up in landfill each year? Is it A, nine, there are a few peas left over after Christmas lunch, is it B, 90, mainly comprising Brussels sprouts? Is it C, 9,000, equivalent to 5 million tonnes of food? Or is it D, 90,000, equivalent to half of Sydney Harbour? I'd probably go for D, being ap apocalyptic. Well, maybe your apocalyptic tendencies didn't serve you so well, because the actual answer is actually C. Yes. It's only, only 9,000. Yes. Uh, yeah, so equivalent to 5 million tonnes of food. So... Are there any foods that make up Christmas which you think should go straight to, to landfill? <laughs> no, none. <laughs> okay, right. You like your Brussels sprouts, do you? Oh, yeah. There are better ways of handling unused Brussels sprouts than sending them to landfill. <laughs> okay, right. Uh, have you heard of composting? <laughs> Very good. Okay, question two. We'll try to help you to get you to pass. Question two. How many unwanted Christmas presents are given in Australia each year? Is it A, zero, no one gets a present they don't want? Is it B, 2,000, there are a few Kris Kringle presents that really shouldn't have been given? Is it C, 1 million, there's a lot of unwanted Christmas love? Or is it D, 20 million, we all seem to get unwanted Christmas oh, presents? I, I guess C again, because uh, 1 and 2 seem too small and B, D seems too large, so that's, well, that's maybe, a guess. Maybe you should just think a bit more apocalyptically. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Whoa, is that right? Oh. Oh, you mean it's a D? Yes, it is. It is, it is D. Yes, that's right. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, Ian, uh, your quiz payoffs perhaps aren't so totally sustainable, uh, but 
You almost got one of our smaller questions right. A big round of applause anyway. I obviously needed some help. Yes, yeah. Anyway, so it seems that Christmas generates a huge amount of waste, millions of tonnes of wasted food, countless unwanted presents, and these are just the figures for Australia. So the waste generated around the world at Christmas is colossal. So is this really sustainable? Well, obviously it's not. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a complicated question, really, to ask the question, how can we make Christmas more sustainable? At one level, in terms of our own individual behaviour, we can break it down to say, how can we make our way we celebrate Christmas more environmentally friendly? Yeah. Um, so in terms of what you've just talked about, waste, I mean, there are lots of ways in which I'm sure many people here and elsewhere and on, on, on the listening audience um, try to do the right thing in terms of not being so wasteful and overconsumptive at Christmas time. I mean, there are many examples. You can, instead of using wrapping paper, you can use newspaper. I mean, mm -hmm. when I celebrated uh, with my family in Laos some years ago, we wrapped everything in in newspaper. It was, yeah. it was fine. Um, you can also um, moderate the presents you buy, make, put a financial limit on what, what you buy, how many number of presents. I personally like Kris Kringle. I think it's, a, it's been a fantastic innovation. And yeah. uh, in our family, we have a lot of fun because we have a, the, the rule is to steal. And so... But, Sorry, the rule but, is to steal? Yes, yes. As, as you distribute the gifts, there is an opportunity to steal someone else's present. All oh, right, not to steal, to provide the Kris Kringle presents. <laughs> oh, I hadn't thought about that one. <laughs> Which actually really subverts the whole notion of what can I get out of Christmas because right. um, you're looking to steal somebody else's mm, stuff, mm, right? Or yeah. someone steals oh, what you want. Steal yeah, your yeah, stuff. that's right. right. Yeah. 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 I mean, there are other ways as well. I mean, tear useful gifts um, is a great idea. Um, you know, to give someone a, a toilet and a water system for Christmas is really that's um, that's great. Yes. You know, it's but why is there so much waste though? Well, I think that opens the deeper question about, about uh, Christmas because Christmas, in a way, is a festival of overconsumption that, that has its place within a culture of overconsumption. And we live in a world which has produced enormous, in a cornucopia of goods and experiences and so on, and, and so we have become used to actually levels of consumption that our parents and grandparents would just find astonishing. Yeah. Um, and that's not just simply because humans are greedy, but actually we live in a, an economy which has been built around encouraging people to consume more goods and services. Yeah. And there are a lot of very smart people who are thinking of new products that can be marketed and sold, and B, finding ways of advertising those products to persuade people that you really do need that, and come on, you know? Um, yeah. uh, you are talking to someone with a marketing degree here. Okay. So, yeah. so you're blaming the marketers here, are you? Well, I think it's, it's interesting that, um, as I said before, it's not because humans are naturally greedy and will, will grasp whatever they can. Um, back in the 1920s, when the, the systems of production, uh, manufacturing and so on, really started gearing up, there was a problem of overproduction. There was too much being produced. Yeah. And the problem was that, the, we lived, that the, the culture at that time was one where people were used to not having a lot. So frugality was part of the culture. Yeah. And so advertisers had to work out a way to persuade people that they really did need these things which they thought, why would I need that? Yeah. Interestingly, um, Sigmund Freud's nephew, Edward Bernays, was a key figure in that to, to actually the psychology of advertising, to, to actually hook into that sort of unexpressed need, desire mm. and so on. So that means you're saying 100 years ago then, uh, Christmas, which is a, a season of perhaps excess, yes. was a, a stark contrast to the prevailing 
cultural environment, which was one of frugality. Well, you can imagine that in, in a culture where there is relative frugality and relative poverty and so on, um, that have a, to have a number of special festivals actually gives a sense of um, relief and way of celebrating life. So the celebration of Christmas against the background of the, the hard yakka of the year actually made more sense. But right. now, of course, in a sense, we have Christmas affluence all year. And so at Christmas time, we have to actually ramp it up a bit more. So perhaps if we recognise how affluent the rest of the year was, it may put Christmas into a different perspective. Yes. But there's, there's a really big problem there because, as, as most would be aware, um, our economy depends upon people consuming. Um, and, and so, That's right. you know, to, to, uh, for investors to invest in making things, they need to maybe be sure those things can be sold. And to invest, that creates the jobs. And so you're aware, I mean, if, if you notice people talking about our economy, there was a problem. We're at a pr precarious state because consumers are not going out there and consuming. Now, that's, that shows that we are structurally dependent upon consumption. So when I say, and you and I agree, that we should consume less, well, that probably means that some people will be out of work because... That's right. It's a complex problem, though, mm, isn't it? Mm, yes. Yep. Um, but does... Go back to the idea of Christmas and celebration, but does celebration necessarily mean excess? Uh, no, of course not. No, it doesn't. In fact, it is a time of giving and sharing. Um, and in fact, it, it's, there is a sense that, we, that people have that Christmas time you share together and often people kind of feel, why can't we have this spirit all the year round? You know, why can't we have Christmas all the year round? Mind you, sometimes family gatherings are not quite as, <laughs> no. as, as happy as, as no, that. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but, yeah. Um, but I mean, the, in one sense, it, it, it's, the, it's the sense of sharing. But again, it's, it's, it's sort of hooked into um, you can, can consume more. I, I, um, I noticed in the Good Weekend, for example, recently um, there was a full page ad and, and it was the joy of giving. But it was entirely about this, this set of night clothes for this, this good-looking woman. Right. And it was entirely about her, how she, could, how she could indulge herself. So the joy of giving had been changed subverted. to... Yes, subverted to one of individual personal consumption. Right, yes. And, th and that's a challenge in there, I suppose. Well, I think it is. I, th I think um, the, the irony, the paradox of consumption is that it has a sense of scarcity. We need more and we need to get more. And again, there's the same um, competitive affluence, you know, keeping up with the Joneses or whoever. Mm. Um, and that's a, that's a really deep paradox that underlying the, the, the sense of abundance is this deeper sense of scarcity. Mm. And we don't want to share because if we share, then we'll lose out. But is sustainability therefore the enemy of Christmas? You know, a form of the Christmas Grinch, you know, sustainability, sustainability <laughs> experts are intent on ending all of our joy and having Christmas presents, etc. Uh, at this time? I mean, that's a good question and in fact it should be taken seriously because a lot of people who, who just become so overwhelmed by the excess of Christmas say, let's, let's not celebrate at all, let's kind of, let's not do anything, let's not have any presents. And, and of course, in a family of children, that's pretty, pretty hard yeah, to right. do. Yeah, yeah. and it yeah. becomes a sort of, you know, as you say, a, a Grinch thing. Uh, and it, is, it is a way of finding different ways of, of celebrating and sharing. And as I said before, there are lots of practical measures where you can... And it's not just simply um, the amount that you share, but also the symbolic meaning of what you... Because that's what Christmas is. It's gone, I'm, I'm giving to you because I value you. Well, at Christmas time, we, we make contact with people we haven't had contact with all year. It's, it's reaching out. It's connecting. And, yeah. and a gift is basically... That's what it's about. Yes. Um, so we, we need to... Well, sometimes a gift can be a matter of just obligation, though, can't it? That's right. Yes, yes. That's part of the reality of Christmas. Oh, what am I going to get for Aunt Edna? And, and you know, what, or whatever. So, so to, to actually recover that, the, the spirit of Christmas, as we put it, is, uh, is important.
Now, we do ask the bigger questions here, and perhaps we need to ask the big question of whether Christmas itself is the problem. So is, maybe Christmas isn't sustainable, so should we just give up on it altogether? Uh, not of course, of course not. I think it's a matter of recovering what Christmas is about. I mean, I, I think we, we're all aware, uncomfortably aware, aware of the way in which, in a sense, Christmas itself has been subverted, has been colonised, it's been turned into this kind of, you know, Santa Claus activities. That's uh, yeah. So, but and so the Christ, the Christian story, which is actually the heart of it, gets sort of smothered over. It get, gets reduced to the baby Jesus, you know, the nativity scene, yeah. and so on. And so, I, th I think part of the challenge is to actually recover the big story of Christmas, which is a pretty amazing story. Yeah. Um, and the, the story of Christmas is the story of how God established his, his very different kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom because w the way we tell the story, God's king becomes king through the cross. And that's, yes. that's so different from all other systems of power and rule and so on. Um, so do you want to unpack that a bit more? You say, you say God's king becomes king through the cross. So, so what does that mean? That, that means that, well, because just while the Jews were expecting a, a, a king like King David, who would sort of gather together an army and would fight against, like the Maccabees had done before then and various other uh, zealots had done as well, that's what they wanted. They didn't see the deeper story that what the problem that, that had to be resolved wasn't just simply Roman dominion, but the dark powers of sin and evil which had actually distorted human lives and human societies. And so that was the power that had to be overcome. Yeah. And so the death and resurrection of Jesus is, as we read in the, in the whole of the Gospel, is overcoming those powers and establishing God's reign of righteousness and love and peace and justice and forgiveness. Mm. Um, that's, the, that's the biggest story. And that's, that's the kingdom of love which we need to recover. And is that something that we celebrate at Christmas? Do you think that's perhaps worth celebrating? Well, I think we, I think we need to celebrate because... If we reduce the story of the gospel to something which is just about the, the cuteness of the nativity scene and lose its bigger politics, then we're like the salt that's lost its saltness because we, we celebrate that in the world which is, as I said before, which is at a real time of crisis. Mm. You know, I, th I think we need to take that seriously. And it's not just simply the, the, the larger question of ecological sustainability, but also the inequalities of our world. Well, perhaps maybe the Christian message shares some of the blame for some of the consumerist attitudes at Christmas is because one of the inspirations for the tradition of gift giving at Christmas comes from the Magi of the Bible recorded in the book of Matthew, uh, where they present gifts to the baby Jesus, as it says in Matthew 2.11, that they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. So aren't the Magi here you know, cultivating and encouraging <laughs> yes. a consumerist mentality by giving children expensive gifts? <laughs> <laughs> um, again, again, it's the, it's the bigger picture. It's the bigger, the bigger challenge. That that um, the, what the story, what that story is showing, is how they recognise that this baby is the king, is the one that has come from God, God's king, yeah. who will establish a, a reign of righteousness and and peace and justice. And of course, as you as you broaden the, broaden the lens out. We, the, 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 the verse from, from John 3.16, that, that this coming was a gift of God's love. That the, the God we worship, the God we, we praise, is, is a God of, of giving and loving. Mm, mm. Um, and so in a, in a sense that was a response. The Magi um, represent a response to... The, the, to, to a great gift. The great gift of God, yes. So then how does considering material possessions as a gift, how will that change our approach to them and perhaps even to Christmas? 
But as I said before, the paradox of overconsumption, it arises out of insecurity and an often case, you know, I don't have enough. Mm. Um, I live in a world which is, which is kind of threatening. And so having things, I mean, it's the Scrooge principle. You just set a mass more money. Why do billionaires keep accumulating more and more money? They can't spend it all. What is it about that? So it's, it's an, it, it rises out of a need, a desire for something more. So is that why you think we overconsume? It's actually something about our personal identity? Uh, I, th- I think that's a good part of it. I think, and as I said before, part of the the, um, the psychology of ad- advertising is to kind of exploit that sense of insecurity. We don't have enough. Um, we need more to fulfil. Mm. But I think there is a, there is a deeper thing there that, that that touches on, and that is the desire. There is a desire for something more. Well, commenting on Christmas consumption, just maybe connected to that, uh, academic from Deakin Business School, Paul Harrison, he wrote: Many of us buy and consume things as a substitute for what's missing in our lives. So to what extent do you think that's true? Hmm. I, think it's, I think it's very true. That's a very wise statement. Um, we live in a very secular society, um, yeah. and it's, it's really uh, over the last 100, 200 years or more, the, the notion that, that the world we live in is a world created by God and sustained by God has given away to this is just a material world of stuff. Yeah. And we humans are evolutionary products, we are, you know, and, and so we're involved in a struggle um, to survive um, and we, we're in a competitive struggle to survive. Yeah. Um, so that's... But, but that after... And even though we've been very successful, you know, in terms of technologies... Yes, which, um, and creating stuff. Yeah, yeah. And also, I, mean, I, I don't want to decry that because I think, I think um, we live uh, amazingly good lives in terms of the, the city we live in. Um, so it's been very successful. But there is, a, there is an emptiness beneath the surface. Um, yeah. So, so you think that's real? That there's an emptiness that we try to, in some ways, consumption is trying to fill that emptiness. Yes. 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 Yeah, I, think, I mean, I think, I think there's a sort of. I mean, that's. I, I think we see that in terms of the way goods are advertised, because many goods, whether it be a, a Lexus car or or whatever, right, um, it kind of promises you almost transcendental experience. You know, yes. if you do this, you will be a better person, you will be fulfilled. Well, it's just a car after all. <laughs> That's um, right. And, and we kind of know that, but on the other hand, we're, we're, we've so, we're sold the, the, the deeper promise. Right. Um, so where do you think we can find true satisfaction, though? Well, I think as Christians, we, we say there is, a, there is a creator God who is there giving of himself to us. And, and it was St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. I mean, there's a, there, is a, there is a true source of genuine happiness, blessing, um, and so on. But, but it's, it's, and we say that it's found through the person of Jesus, the, mm. the, the crucified one, yeah. um, the crucified and risen one. And that's been your experience? Yeah. yeah. Do you want yeah. to tell us a bit about what, why that is for you, why that is the case for you? Um, Yes, uh, many, many years ago, longer than I like to think, when I was an 11-year-old boy, I, was, I became interested in Christianity more as a kind of, what's this all about? Yeah, you and weren't growing up in the church or anything? Or? Uh, sort of. My parents were, had some sort of connection. My brother was a missionary. I asked him what Christianity was all about, and he told me, and I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> um, but I went along to a uh, church service one night, and, and the, the, the message was, you know, who do you want to follow? And I kind of was... I went up afterwards and I said, I want to follow Jesus. And it was... Well, it was why was that? What was, what, was, what was it that persuaded you? 
I can't remember what the particular reason was, but I think it was a choice. Either either I followed Jesus or I followed Satan, basically. So right. it was a no-brainer in that sense. <laughs> okay, that's probably a, a good solution. But have you regretted the decision? Well, no, what was, what was so surprising was that I thought I was kind of just, you know, I was, well, not an, as an 11-year-old child, not, a, not an intellectual decision, but a kind of just a, well, okay. But the surprising thing, and I guess it was the Holy Spirit's touching my life, and, and that, that was, I was really quite shocked by the consequence of, mm. of that choice. And so the decision to follow Jesus has shaped the rest of my life. Right. Um, but that's something you haven't regretted? No, 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 of course not. No, no, no. Um, I mean, I, things we talked about, the things of understanding what life is about, what the material world is like, it, there is a person, there is a personal reality, not, not a person, but a personal reality which makes sense of the world. That makes sense of the world to me more than just saying it's just stuff. Because mm. we, we human beings with our sense of love, our sense of relationship, our sense of justice, our sense of well, the things we talked about. Where does that come from? Or is that, is that just simply our evolutionary adaptation processes? No, there's, there's, a, there's a deep reality A deep there. reality. And, and, and the, the Christian story, because it's not just about how you can be powerful and control other people, but it's about a generous God who gives. Mm. And, and who gives so so to the extent of suffering on the cross. Because it's not just God up there and Jesus comes down and, and takes the, the, the pain. It is, it is God. It is, mm. it is the creator God who is bearing our sins, our pain, our brokenness, our messiness there. Mm. Um, and that sort of, as you've said, that, that giving is perhaps something that's even worth reflecting on at Christmas time. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think um, at, at its best when we celebrate Christmas, and, and indeed many of the Christmas carols actually capture that, that broader, that bigger sense. This, is not, this is not Jingle Bells. No, no. that's right. <laughs> yes, yes. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is a, is a wonderful... Um, yeah. it, it captures that sense of... And Ransom Captive Israel puts it puts in the context of the bigger, the bigger story of Israel... Um, mm. Now, perhaps another motivation for gift-giving of the Magi was that their gifts was, uh, was joy. Uh, it says in Matthew 2, verse 10, that when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And then when they saw the child with his mother Mary, they bowed down and worshipped him. And that's when they presented him with gifts. So why do you think they were so overjoyed at finding this, this small baby? One can speculate about the sense of joy because both Matthew, Matthew's account and Luke's account have, has a real sense of joy because because here the hope of the ages has come into mm. being in this child mm. um, and and that's i mean I, th- I guess there's a sort of elemental joy that this is this is the this is the christ child this is the one who will who will you know that um, when a, when a baby is born and a baby of such significance it provokes amazement joy yeah. yes so then can a consumerist christmas challenge the joy of christmas I'd like to say the other way around. That can the joy of Christmas challenge our consumer culture? Um, is a more constructive. And, I, and as I said before, I think too that we need to recover the, the the sort of the the bigness and the and the kind of the challenge of of the whole Christian story. Well, perhaps we can consider the converse though. And then thinking about sustainability and some of the big challenges that our world is facing, can that take the joy out of Christmas? Um, I'm sure for many people it does, and I think if you compartmentalise and sort of have your normal Christmas consumption and, and, and not worry about the, w- the world out there, then yes, it's sort of you can, can tend to enjoy. But many people, many people in our world are really challenged by the, the sustainability crisis that we experience. So a lot of people are saying, 
How can we be joyful? How can we celebrate this way um, when we know that we're moving towards mm. extinction? Yeah. But do you think the Christian message can offer, can offer joy amidst that crisis? Um, I, I think it can, and, and it sh- of course, of course. But not to simply say, oh, God will fix it. I, I think, I think the, the, the way in which the Christian story goes is that God has come into the world in the shape of a baby, in, a, in the shape of a man who, who preached and taught amazing things and who suffered and died. That was God's way of, of breaking the powers. And the Spirit is given to the church. Um, I'm of the view that, that there is a real need for Christians not to simply join up with others and say, yes, we need to fix climate change, but to say to people, why, what kind of culture do we live in that produces this catastrophe? And it's a culture where God has been forgotten. We have stopped to worship. You know, in Romans 1 talks about um, people didn't, they, they knew something about God, but they, they choose to, idolatry replaced worship. And idolatry led to a cascading effect. Mm. Um, that's, our, that's our message. Mm, yeah. Well, Jesus himself offers uh, an alternative vision to consumerism, a letter in the book of Matthew, in chapter 625, where he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So how is this vision attractive, do you think? It's interesting because I, I think, as I said before, that needs to be seen. It's an almost impossible Thing to even think about how could you live that way, I think it, it appeals back to Israel's covenant with God, which involved genuine sharing. And also in the book of Acts, when the, when the first Christians, inspired by the Holy Spirit, they sold their possessions, they shared them, no one went hungry. Um, every, each one gave according to what their means mm. and to their needs. And that, that sense of an economy of sharing rather than an economy of a private consumption has always been sort of lurking there in the right, background. it's a challenge. Uh, do you think that vision would help create a more sustainable Christmas? I, 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 come, I come back to the difficulty I have, I'm sure many people do as well, that, that in, in a way we do have to worry about jobs, we have to worry about income, we have to worry about where our food's coming from. You know, yeah, it's, there's a tension here, a paradox. Yeah, and, I, and as I said before, but if, you, if you'd locate it within a different kind of economy, a kingdom economy, then if, if, you, if you live in an economy where, where you know that you're supported, where people who fall into difficulties know that there are people who will who will lift them and that's what that's what church is about you know church is a church is a is a community an economy Mm. which actually looks after people so ian how can we have a sustainable christmas well i think i mean i do think that uh, the the two levels that that we touched on having an environmentally friendly christmas because i think christmas as it stands is unsustainable but to do things in a way which which are mindful of the um the ways in which the, the gifts we buy um, impact on the planet and other people. But I think deeper than that, I, I, th- I think I'd like to turn it around and say, how can we recover the Christian story in a way which challenges unsustainable consumerism? Mm. Well, let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to the big question, how can we have a sustainable Christmas? From Matthew 6:25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, Dr. Ian Barnes. Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast.
Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.